0: Welcome to The Jesse Garcia Show, your half hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every week with a new story about your world. Today's guest is Dr. Manuel Cuellar, one of the few professors in the United States teaching Latinx studies. We'll talk about the Latin American writers, authors, and poets he spotlights in his courses. Plus, we'll talk about how current events have shaped his classroom into a source of healing and resistance. I want to thank all the folks following us at Jesse Garcia Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. For more information about the podcast, visit jessigarciashow.com. Save the date. The Hispanic Heritage Foundation announced that the 32nd annual Hispanic Heritage Awards will be broadcast on PBS stations on October 11th during Hispanic Heritage Month. Latinx community leaders, artists, and entrepreneurs will be recognized at a special ceremony held at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington, D.C. The awards are among the highest honors by Latinos for Latinos and are supported by 40 national Hispanic-serving institutions. For more information about the award ceremony and for tickets to the event, visit www.hispanicheritage.org. I want to welcome to the show one of the most creative Professionals I've met in the Washington, D.C. area, a dedicated professor who teaches and promotes culture inside and outside the classroom, Dr. Manuel Guerra.
1: Thank you, Jesse, for this invitation. It's my pleasure to be here with you today.
0: I was very excited. Um, for the longest time, I wanted to have an uh, education professional come talk about Latinx studies. I mean, they've only been around. For 50 years even though our culture has been here for more than 500 years the Latinx culture uh, we barely have any representation we have 5,000 colleges and universities Mm -hmm. and I bet that not even one percent of them we we make our studies are not found in one percent of them correct
1: well you know like it it's been quite a struggle to create departments that definitely in a way um, engage our stories our histories and provide the funding to create these programs uh, from undergraduate to graduate programs but it's been it's been now like 15 years since that original strike in San Francisco um, you know, where it started, all started. Where it all started in San Francisco State University. The Black Student Association, along with the Native Americans, Asian Americans, and of course, Latinx students, walked out and demanded representations, demanded professors who will cover uh, their histories, you know. And um, now, 50 years later, no, all departments, like you mentioned, have uh, professors that, you know, focus on uh, the studies of Latinx communities, but also. Uh, programs George Washington University does not have a program. There is a couple of us who teach about you know Linux um,
0: yeah you have like histories. 10,000 10, students we do and, and 10% are Latino. I we't yeah. offer a minor in Linux studies for instance. yeah. Right? So tell us how you got into this field. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Of course
1: so I was born and raised in the um, in a rural town in northern Mexico in the state of Chihuahua I was born and raised there I lived there for 18 years so I'm the fourth of six I grew up uh, in this uh, very large immediate family with my mom because my father was always here in the United States working first as a bracero and then he eventually made it to LA so after high school we moved to LA and I started in community college Glenda Community College and then I transferred to UCLA I studied um, Italian and Hispanic studies and then decided to pursue a PhD in Hispanic languages and cultures with a designated emphasis in women, gender and sexuality. And three years ago, I was hired here as an assistant professor of Spanish and Latin American Literatures and Cultures at George Washington University and I've been here ever
0: since. And you teach a lot. I mean, you have like almost half a dozen uh, classes from Latin culture, Mexican-American, Mexican literature and culture. Women Writers in Spain and Latin America, Latin American Short Fiction, and Latin Cultural Production. What has been the most interesting reaction that you get from students? Yes, it really depends on the course. Yes, I mean, they've been surprised, they've been shocked, they've been happy
1: to. Let me just give you a couple of examples. For instance, from taking their first class in their last year, in the fourth year, with a focus on gender, right? And so realizing that we're really uh, mainly male authors, for instance, right, in their their other majors or minors, question in terms like machismo that criminalizes uh, brown and black males primarily. And then, you know, think of the context of the Me Too movement here and the use of terms like toxic masculinity primarily for, you know, white males. They've been talked to uh, when I have them read uh, like a novel about migration going through Mexico, you know, like writing La Bestia or seeing like a filmic representation, watching a film, you know, that portrays that experience. And then we get, you know, they get to hear testimonies from people actually going through Mexico in these caravans. Last year I had to change the curriculum to, to address that, right? And
0: That must be fascinating that you could draw on current events to teach your lesson
1: absolutely i think it's very important for me it's very important especially as a literary and culture studies scholar it's very important that they understand what the humanities do and how they relate to basically their everyday lives and the communities they're a part of and even in dc or especially in dc where all these policies are sort of created and then implemented and have like lasting impacts across latin america so for them to understand like they let the local Latinx community is primarily Central American, uh, as a result of like U.S. intervention of in, in Central America, and I yes. think it's very important, like when we're talking about Mexico and the role of Mexico too, as part of this sort of system of deportation also and criminalization of migrants. Um, so when my course, when I teach this course on Mexico, I make sure that we talk about the role of Mexico and how Central America is such an important part of even the Mexican cultural production too. Because migration is not unique, you know, exactly. to one country or the other. This is part of a, of a experience as, as humans. So, I use in addition to using, you know, rep- uh, um, art and, and sort of novels, films, performances that address. Again, like in this case, we're talking about migration, the migration experience. I had them listen to testimonies, uh, returning to this wonderful project. It's called Humanizando la Deportacion, Humanizing the Deportation, and it's the result of a, a wonderful collaborative effort and community effort uh, that started at UC Davis, um, and sort of spearheaded by Robert Irwin. Um, and so they use digital storytelling to, to share. You know testimonies of um,
0: of and my it heart. helps because art helps with the trauma that these people have been through. Yes, And, and let them express and be able to sh- uh, exp- share their feelings.
1: Absolutely, and I think it's important for them because students at jo- George Washington University, for instance, are really good with international law. You know, with policies. <laughs> they 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 come here to major in that. They work. Uh, they have internships in the in the Hill. You know. Uh, or they they volunteer or they work for this non profit organization so they are very um uh, sort of um they're very versed in this it's sort of debates but it's different once uh that they actually hear that, that the testimonies and they're not talking about just numbers and policies but actual human act, human. human
0: uh story the human story
1: absolutely story
0: so, the context
1: they in a way uh, what this sort of like art and the humanities do but also like hearing these testimonies is rehumanize you know such a dehumanizing experience so yes and so they've been so yeah definitely they're surprised they're shocked and I also want to emphasize that it's very important that we especially in these moments when you know um, there's so much going on and there's a lot of anxiety Climate change to you know, yeah. like these mass shootings that we sort of breach uh, and tap on top of the ways that we connect as communities. So, when I take them to the Mexican Cultural Institute and they see the murals, right, and they see like the similarities, there's a mural there that portrays you know, like the un um, abrazo americano, like this sort of like American embrace between like you know, important figures like Lincoln and Benito Juarez, for instance, and George Washington, right, representing that historical figures, historical figures that have been very important for, for both nations, but also with the programming that sort of, um, you know, allow um, the programming that allows students to to see what how these topics of displayments are being discussed elsewhere, like in Canada, in Mexico, in Central America, not just in the United States, right? And that's my job.
0: So who are the writers, authors, and poets that you incorporate into your teachings? Who gets a lot of play?
1: Yes, oh my gosh, I love this question and it's a very difficult one. And let me just give you several examples because it's so difficult to decide. So when I teach about, you know, like Mexico, particularly like that experience of the revolution, I love the short stories of Nelly Campovello, the only woman to write about the Mexican revolution uh, from the point of view of a little girl. And you could imagine that that wasn't popular at the time in 1930s when she published these, you know, short stories. But I also love Juan Rulfo's *Pedro Paramo*. That's my favorite novel. That's the reason why I'm here. And of course, be familiar. *Gloria Tardula's Borderlands la yes. Frontera* is a must. That book provides much guidance, uh, you know, to cover different topics. Thinking about borders, languages, mixed heritage, race, gender, sexuality. I think it's. I use. Anzaldúa's work a lot, too, Thank you. <laughs> of course, <laughs> because, you know, she's one of the most important philosophers and thinkers of our community, and I think it's very important that, very Underrated. indeed, yeah. and it's very important that uh, our students know that we too produce knowledge, right, and Anzaldúa is definitely a, a testament of that. I also um, include, um, you know, the stories of Claudia Hernandez, uh, the Salvadoran writer uh, that deals with the aftermath and uh, the, the cost of the post-war in el salvador and i use her and her short stories this collection called uh, the fronteras to um contextualize sort of the to to have my students think about why people had to migrate especially to the dc area right and what their the community here is dealing with and um, I also love the work of Claudia Salazar, uh, La Sangre de la She's a Peruv- wonderful per- Peruvian writer um, who writes about, like, the Sendero Luminoso, you know, the shining path and that violence, and I use her because she writes uh, this wonderful short novel from the point of view of three different women and how violence, you know, sometimes it doesn't have like, ideology. I mean, like, gender violence is real, yes. and, it, you know, it it's it perpetuated by different kind, of, I mean, patriarchy that exists in, yes, in left, you know, leaning sort of like... <laughs> in every part of society. Indeed. And recently, I've used this a lot, Sarah Uribe's Antigona Gonzalez, because she helped, she's a wonderful poet, and she, she helps me talk about laws forced disappearance, bodies, language, especially related to the narco-violence um, in Mexico. And lately, Cristina Rivera Garza's work, her poems, her short stories have, have become like, you know, like a signature of my courses. And Cristina Rivera Garza is a very important writer from Mexico who was the first one to create the first creative uh, doctoral program in Houston, bilingual, you know? Wow. Uh, And so I think it's wonderful and the, it's the first one and the only one that existed really. There's a couple of uh, creative programs. that you know at the master level like in El Paso mm-hmm. and another one in San Diego but the first one is you know she, she created and an precisely to to promote the importance of like writing
0: bilingually nowadays your students are they all mainly Latinos or do you have a mixture
1: I have a mixture and they're not uh, mainly Latinos it's um. George Washington University uh, is diversifying significantly rapidly lately. I mean, like when yes. it's ten thousand students, and when we get like three hundred more Latino Latinx students, you feel the change, right? And yes. so, courses like the, the the ones that I teach become uh, more needed, and we definitely need to expand our, our our curriculum offering. But they they are mixed, a mix of first generations. Many of them come from like the New York area, but also we get the, the, the students from California and definitely from Texas. But, no, we're not as diverse as we should
0: be for being at the nation's capital. Yeah. Now, one interesting aspect about your work is that you like to incorporate dance. Tell us about that. Yes, I mean, my research is about dance and the role that it played at the
1: beginning of the 20th, uh, at the beginning of the 20th century in Mexico. So I look at how these festive cultural performances helped shape a sense of corporeal expression that I that I think is very important to understand the formation of a national identity is literally what moved us and move us to do what, right? And this is what my research engages with. I'm um, also a performer as... As you know, part of Corazon uh, Folklorico Dance yes. Company.
0: For our listeners, the way I met Dr. Correa was through a performance locally with Corazon Folklorico. Yes. And I love Folklorico because I had to dance it when I was little. In yes. the parades, uh, growing up in Brownsville, Texas, we had our Christmas parade and then we had our Charro Days parade. And in both parades, there was always a performance that every first, third, and fifth grade class had to undertake. Yes. And I've loved it ever since, I and mean, watching you do it so beautifully and elo- eloquently, it was just like, wow. It just brought back so many memories. Thank you. And this is actually we I ended up writing
1: uh, about folklorico dance in many ways, and dance in general, regional, traditional dances. Because I too danced the nation growing up in Mexico, and then when I moved to California, I started to dance uh, folklorico again, and now that I'm in DC, and it meant a different thing. That has helped me think about the notion of Mexicanness in different contexts and what it does, right? I think it's very powerful for us to be performing uh, folklorico uh, nowadays, right? It's, a, it's about creating community, it's about connecting, but it's all, and certainly it's about celebrating, uh, you know, carrying on and preserving our traditions. But I think these gestures, these performances acquired a different political balance depending on the, the context. And it has been a powerful way to heal and to come together as a community. And I think, um, I mean, I've done uh, I perform folklorico just to remember the number of trans, um, you know, crimes that have been, that, you know, um, crimes towards trans. trans, crimes towards trans, our uh, trans community, Latinx like trans community, transvesticidios. Mm-hmm. Transfeminicidios, transfeminicides. I, I, yeah. you know we still need to work on that, on the yeah. language to to name these violent. But I thought it was a very powerful to honor them. You know, yes. um,
0: one of the most important things that your studies cover is, and it's unique, is queer Latinx work. How has it been received by the students and the faculty hmm. at GWU? I think it has been very successful and well received, and I'm so
1: glad that I was able to create this course um, about Latin America and incorporate it as part of our curriculum offerings, that, you know, the importance of, of representation. So in that course, I invite our students to think about queerness as a theory and as a practice. Think of it as a methodology to study these representations of non-normative gender expressions and sexualities in, line, in Latin America and also in Across you know, Latinx, Latinx communities here in the United States, so we cover literature, film, performances, and let me... current d- stuff as well. Some of the current stuff, and let me just give you two examples. Okay. For instance, you know, like we have to, we talk about like the kiss of the Spider Woman, which is yeah. a, a classic and it's part of our, you know, certainly our queer archive. Yeah, as you know, queer Latinos and. Um, Fresi Chocolate, this wonderful Cuban film. And recently, for instance, we talked about uh, A Fantastic Woman, the one that won yes. um, the the Oscar for the best foreign film with Daniela Vega. And so we listened to her and her testimony when she went back and how she, Daniela Vega became a crucial player for, you know, policy the, to change. Yes, I mean, Imperial. talk
0: about being an actress and then becoming a social activist and moving the needle when it came to... Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of civil rights LGBT civil rights in South America absolutely and the the global sort of represent
1: the globe the the global aspect of of her her sharing her story right and the importance of bringing this discussion to to contemporary sort of debates in ways that it, you know they've been invisibilized yeah. um, forever really and yeah. So in that course, I st- I ask my students to also attend and participate in queer-related events at, at you know in, in in DC in our community or in, on campus, or to do a queer reading if you will of the events that they attend. So. Last semester, I also asked them to engage creatively with the material. So some of them did spoken word, and they brought in the memories about their grandma or being like a proper Latina, one of them, for instance, or digital storytelling about, you know, like why dance and why create this dance group on campus. Or they did painting and how it allowed them to sort of engage with their own process. Not all students were queer. Um, We also, you know, have a lot of queer allies, but it was a very interesting way to sort of creatively... Uh, reflect uh, about the theoretical concepts that we discussed. I have this very fond memory of a student who decided to write a children's book of coming out. Oh wow! So he put together like his memories with pictures and all about, you know, like his coming out story to his, you know, to his like sort of like inner child, right? Like one w- he would have loved to have read before, right? Um,
0: and yes, yeah. Well, that must have been a beautiful concept to put together something that you wish you would have when you were young so like so like the the guide <laughs> absolutely <laughs> of what to expect especially when we come from a culture that of course like any other culture I guess I really I really don't want to just say that the Latino culture is the hardest but um, with such so much machismo and religion mm-hmm. on our backs mm-hmm. that it, it just became very hard for folks to come up, come out at an early age now everything's off the t- it's like <laughs> it's a free-for-all <laughs> yes. next to the advances we had but it's just amazing and I'm so happy that queer Latinx, Latinx studies are being taught that way it lifts the culture and lifts the mindset that these individuals are in our community we're now no longer gonna be invisible um, this is a very Dark time in our political, politically, mm-hmm. in for Latin American um, citizens in the United States, Latinx citizens. Uh, how does this affect your teaching, and does it often come up in your class?
1: It has significantly affected how I think of myself as an educator. First of all, I have to make a priority to educate myself to be able to educate my students about the you know repercussions of this difficult time i mean it's yeah. like a daily thing it i mean is. it's
0: almost to the point that i lose track how many times our community mm-hmm. has been set back yes. um, through policy change or through an actual physical attack
1: indeed like through literal attacks against our communities yeah. um we become definitely target of of many of the policies and practices of, of the current administration. So I have changed my programs in order to accommodate the interests, but also the needs of the students and attend to reality of, you know, our local and our Latinx community in general here um, in, in these times. So for instance, um, like I was saying before, I made it a point to always incorporate Central American authors and address the Central American experience in all my classes. Why? If we don't really talk about, you know, Latinx, the Latinx, you know, cultural production in general, when it comes to it, it's usually reduced and, you know, it's narrowed down to the Mexican-American chicken-ex experience and the Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican-American, and Cuban, if so, and at times the Dominican, you know, it's just only either the Caribbean diaspora or the Mexican-American diaspora, correct? And nowhere do we talk about Central American and Central American-American authors. So there's like a big... It's very unfortunate, but that we've fallen short of of engaging critically and studying and learning from our Central American American sisters and brothers who've been working here in the United States and also in Central America. Right. So, I made it a point to always incorporate the Central American experience. And frankly, I have to learn because I wasn't educated. I mean, exactly. I never took a class on Central American studies. Literally, on Central American American studies. So, um, in addition to that, um, like for instance, this, this last semester, my two courses, the one on queer Latin American and the one on studies in, Latin, in, in Latinx cultural production, we, we, I finished both courses with a discussion of undocumented tales. Undocumented tales is a free web series on YouTube created and produced by Armando Ibáñez. And it centers on the story of a gay Latino in Los Angeles, an undocumented gay Latino, queer. Talk about intersectionality, right? Exactly. But also talk about like the underrepresentation of of our people on you know on the media. I mean, this is why, for instance, Vida, just to mention an example, has become a, a sensation, right?
0: I love uh, that show. Me too.
1: <laughs> and certainly, um, and it was great that I was able to invite um, Armando Ibañez to talk to my students and reflect uh, about what it's been like to produce this show with no resources, right exactly. and my students also in this class The one that I told you is the first one to ever be taught at the upper division level at George Washington uh, University with a community engaged a men focus yes. um, Is the one that i that I've created and so my students have to volunteer at local Latinx um, serving organizations working with children elderly or youth Think of, you know, D.C. Bilingual, Monroe Elementary, in aspe- in after school programs, or Somos Familia, we're family, you know, just interacting with our elderly, elderly members of the community.
0: Or what a great resource. That's yes.
1: Good. Or the Latin American Youth Center. Um, LAYC, yes. LAYC, yes. And so that the students not only think about, yes, Anzaldúa is wonderful, but it falls short if we don't engage the community, right? If my students in D.C. who often come from very privileged backgrounds, not only time but certainly many times if they don't get to know the local Latinx community and so I made it a point to I made a priority frankly uh, as part of uh, what I contribute and what I bring to the table. Um, and uh, it kind of the gives
0: lo- them a purpose to deal and direct all that probably anger or sadness mm-hmm. that they've been experiencing because of the events of the past two three years that they. Focus that and channel that into something good. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And this is why I also been inspired precisely
1: by this uh, wonderful po- project of uh, humanizando la deportación to use and produce digital stories. So I train my students. Why digital stories? Because you know they're very short. They're three to five minutes, and the the the. The point is that they, they create them collaboratively with the members of the community with whom, with whom they participated. And I think it's very important because they get to keep that. It's their story. They choose to, to, to share it. And I think it's very powerful uh, to be able to hear and learn from their stories. And yes, this definitely complements, but in, in a way enhances, you know, how
0: and when they think of Linux imaginaries. Yeah. That's great great service for the student and for the community why is it important that we incorporate Latinx studies in schools not just colleges and universities but actual schools yes I, I, that's a very important question. k to you. 12
1: <laughs> absolutely because first of all our story matter, matters because our history is still part of this nation Latino history is United States history Um. And I think it's very important that we need to, you know, that we continue to learn from these Linux authors that shape and contribute and contribute to the cultural landscape of the United States. I mentioned before and do docu- and docu tales. Um, I-, I think it's also important because it is a responsibility as a society, as the so-called um, largest minority group, right? We need to teach our Linux youth and children, um, for instance, about Central American American youth. Um, that Maya Chinchilla's The Shasha Files, uh, Chapina Poetica, speaks of, you know, Latina gender queerness and the complexities of all of that in her beautiful poetry. Noel Quiñones, a wonderful spoken word artist, uh, Puerto Rican, that talks about the struggle of not being being fluent in Spanish. Um, He has a wonderful poem, A Confessions of My Tongue. Well, he addresses that right and this has become like a important issue now i think of castro and you know yes and, and when he
0: that's what a lot of the third generations fourth generations yes. are dealing with yes how latino is latino exactly you know? yeah
1: and um, i also like to teach this uh jessica salgado's poems again i was thinking just of uh, poetry later because i think our Latinx, um you know artists at the moment are engaging a lot with the uh, spoken word and poetry as a sort of um, like a tool to educate and sensibilize our communities. And she writes about, as a Salvadoran American, how to be a brown girl. So at the end of the semester, I went to Cardoso High, invited by Joanna Davila, and I taught a class, you know, about these amazing Latinx poets, and we shared, um, you know, what it was like to hear for the first time, you know, a Latinx author in a literature course, right? And I think it was very powerful because in that class we had recent immigrants immigrants who have been here for one, two, three years. Some of them were still learning English and we also had heritage speakers of Spanish, right? So we had that wonderful mix. And these Latinx authors oftentimes mix, but not always um, English and Spanish because this is our reality. It's a living living language. And you know, the the Spanish spoke in the United States. And I always make sure my students know that it is the second largest variant in the entire world, and SUNY will be the first one. So what does it mean to study Spanish, right, in these That's... times? And so, and IGW, you you, and I also want to tell you why it is important that we incorporate lightness or lightness studies perspective, is that we need to be able to teach our students, our children to begin with, and our youth, uh, to understand the implications of, like, not taking for... Well, first of all, not ignoring, and also not taking for granted our place at the table, whatever that table is. And so at George Washington, we organize this, um, wonderful program that honors the legacy of Huerta Chavez and Larry Icleon too. And the, Atlion, at the at first we will focus on Ch- It was a program focused on Chavez and then Chavez on Huerta. and It couldn't be complete without acknowledging the important and often ignored legacy of Larry Icleon too he is the one that actually began the, the movement as you know Exactly. and a call to action and you know so that celebration is, is a 2 celebration and we invite these various organizations with whom we work in, through you know like this uh, sort of volunteer program and they come to campus children have come to campus to sing to dance to learn and, and just they,
0: to be in community frankly they, they, I mentor kids in high school and I assigned them so like a book report, well really to write a paper yes. on a Latinx individual, past or current yes. that, you know, so like we're gonna write our own history book mm-hmm. of our Latinx folks. Yes. And for some, they were like, oh, extra homework. I thought this was just gonna be a fun group after school. Others really took it to heart mm-hmm. and to see them at the end of the semester present these papers with pride and telling me they learned something new about uh, mm-hmm. everything from Dolores Huerta to Julian Castro who they had no idea mm-hmm. a Latina was running for U.S. president Yes, to wonderful people like Shakira. You know, yes, we're trying course. to go through all and then they when they just didn't like the one that was assigned to them came up with their own Mm. own people, especially from the Central American kids. I said, you know what, rather than doing this Mexican-American artist, yes, I chose this Honduran or El Salvadoran. El Salvador. And I was just like, yes, yes. yes. You took... A, that at first they were thinking I was going to be upset. I'm like, no, you took initiative. <laughs> yes. I like that. So it was beautiful. And they really had a good time presenting mm-hmm. these papers. Some of them were afraid to get in front of the class and speak, you know. Of but for others, they just... They just went on, and they went more than one page. They gave me two, three pages because they got real passionate about it. So there's a hunger. Yes. So I am very happy that you're leading the effort with Latinx <laughs> studies, and hopefully this kind of catches on because our children deserve it. Absolutely. Uh, let me just mention briefly about
1: um, the importance of bringing the conversations between um, Latin America and Latinx. Um, studies and certainly by communities and expressions. And I think as someone who was born and raised in Mexico, but then came, came of age, if you will, in the United States, I assume both labels, right? And so I made it a point to to teach and learn from both sides of the border. And especially because there's so much fluidity now. Some of it is forced and some of them, you know, it's like it's a result of, of their decisions. But um, or well, not necessarily the decisions, but we're still very much, very much enmeshed, I- integrated. In, you know, we we owe uh, to both, communi- both communities on both sides of the of the Rio, because as a, the recent events at El Paso demonstrate, you know, we're certainly connected.
0: We're always going to be connected. Yes, Dr. Guayar, thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you tell our listeners where they could get more information about your program and about the Undocumented digital series? Absolutely. So, uh, there's several web pages that you, that I suggest that you check
1: out. The first one, uh, G- George Washington University is the Cisneros Institute. So that's Cisneros.Colombian.Gwu.edu for information about uh, prospective students, but also uh, events related to the local Latinx community I'm on on campus. Uh, the, my information is on on the web page. Um, I'm part of the uh, Roman German Slavic uh, languages and literatures um, so you can just, just google Spanish at GW and then you, and you they'll find, find you they'll find mm-hmm. my name there. Uh, and about the testimonies uh, that I was mentioning before these digital stories uh, that I strongly suggest that or your listeners um, check out it's humanizando uh, la deportacion or humanizing deportation um uh, dot UC Davis dot edu and uh, for the Chavez huerta i program that I was telling you in, in GW, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention it before, that that can be found out at serf.gw.edu. And one last thing, that undocumented tells that I was telling you, um, the show that, that I use in my courses, uh, please report it and check it out on YouTube as undocumented tales.
0: Thank you, Jesse. Thank, thank you so much, Dr. Quinn, and I appreciate all the work you're doing in the community. Absolutely. Thank you.